0: Hey guys. First, I just want to own that I'm nervous to record this and I'm nervous to speak on this. And I think that it's really important that me, especially as a white woman, does talk about race and does take a stand on this because I really don't think anything is going to change unless enough of us speak up all together. And that's part of why I'm speaking up. So I just want to share a couple of quotes that have really been on my heart lately. And the first one is the following. I was taught to see racism only in individual acts of meanness, not in invisible systems conferring dominance on my group. That's a quote by Peggy McIntosh in her original article on white privilege, unpacking the invisible knapsack. And the reason that this has been on my heart so much is because I feel like when I was growing up, I was taught as a white person, that racism was something that was only clan member cross-burning white people in the South. And what I'm coming to understand is that it's a lot more involved and systemic. And I am involved in that. I am not exempt from racism. I am. And this goes directly to the next quote that I'm going to choose to read, which is the following. My psychosocial development was inculcated in a white supremacist culture in which I am the superior group. Telling me to treat everyone the same is not enough to override this socialization, nor is it humanly possible. I was raised in a society that taught me that there was no loss in the absence of people of color, that their absence was a good and desirable thing to be sought and maintained while simultaneously denying that fact. This attitude has shaped every aspect of my self-identity, my interests and investments, what I care about or don't care about, what I see or don't see, what I am drawn to and what I am repelled by, what I can take for granted, where I can go, others how, how others respond to me, and what I can ignore. Most of us would not choose to be socialized into racism and white supremacy. Unfortunately, we didn't have that choice. While there is variation in how these messages are conveyed and how much we internalize them, nothing could have exempted us from these messages completely. Now, it is our responsibility to grapple with how this socialization manifests itself in our daily lives and how it shapes our responses when it is challenged. That's the end of the quote. Now, as part of this, I've been educating myself on... What I thought was an extreme term, which is white supremacy, which I now understand to be the reality of the country in which I currently live. And I want to just show how I'm part of that system in terms of this podcast. So I've recorded 107 episodes of this podcast over two and a half years. And I did an audit of everyone that I've interviewed on this podcast. If I interviewed someone twice, I counted them twice. In the time that I've been doing this podcast, I've had people of color on 23% of the time. So the vast majority of the time I've had white guests. And when I broke it down in terms of black folks, I've only had black folks on 2.8% of the time. In other words, I've left out black folks 97.2% of the time. And the part that I feel the most shame about is that I didn't even really notice. And I think this is the part of racism and the racist culture that I've been indoctrinated into that I need to examine the most is where it's invisible and how I I enable that invisibility and I don't want it to be invisible anymore. I want it to be visible because I want it to end. So I'm taking a stand here that I'm going to be part of the movement to dismantle white supremacy, which again is a term I used to think is extreme and now I don't. And I really encourage you, if you are a white person listening to this podcast, to get educated. The second quote that I gave was from a book called White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo, I've learned a lot from it. I encourage you to read it. And I want you to know that if you are someone who is Black, Indigenous, or a person of color listening to this podcast, you belong here. I'm glad to have you. And um, this is a really emotional topic. It's a charged topic. And I think it's one that a lot of us are anxious around and therefore we avoid. And I'm not willing to avoid it anymore. And I really encourage um, everyone listening to not avoid it either. And to really, especially if you're white, please get educated Um, please. I I really, really strongly encourage you to do so. And I appreciate you being here because I think that this discussion is a good first step or it's just, it lays out a lot of sort of the foundational aspects on the personal uh, levels of responsibility that we have and how to engage with this. um, Yeah. In a way that, that feels um, like it brings wholeness. It brings wholeness to the dialogue. So I appreciate you listening and I would love to hear what you think about this podcast episode and I just also want to acknowledge that all of my strong emotions and confusion and everything surrounding this topic is why I haven't released a podcast episode in a few weeks and that will be changing and I will be a lot more mindful of the ways that I participate in the culture that I'm in and the ways that I'm looking to interrupt it. So this episode that I'm releasing was originally um, released as a community call for John Wineland and for his particular community. And so these guests were on as guests of his. And it was was released as a a YouTube video. So you can actually watch the video and see the people that are involved. And if you're interested in following John's work directly, you just go to johnwineland.com. J-O-H-N-W-I-N-E-L-A-N-D, johnwineland.com.
1: So some introductions. Uh, Some of you um, know one speaker, some know many speakers. I'm going to give you a little bit about each one, starting with my teacher, John Wineland. Uh, John's a relationship coach, a speaker, a teacher. He's been guiding men and women in the realms of life purpose and relational communication sexual intimacy and embodiment for over a decade. He brings a multifaceted approach, which is both energetic and highly practical to his workshops and experiential coaching sessions. John's embodiment-driven teaching draws from not only 30 years' experiences of Buddhist meditative practice, from 10 years intensive study and practice with renowned yogic intimacy teacher, David Data. Uh, some of his best known works are What Men Crave, which you'll see on YouTube, and one of my favorites, Fuck Hacking, Do the Work. Uh, Preston Smiles is a speaker, a thought leader, a co-founder of The Love Mob and Bridge Method and A Messenger of Love. He is the author of Love Louder, 33 Ways to Amplify Your Life, and the co-author with his wife, Alexi Panos of Now or Never, Your Epic Life in Five Steps. Uh, one of the things I love about him is he's all about love. He says he's a messenger to remind us that when we amplify our love, we automatically amplify our lives, that love will find a way, everything else will find an excuse. Connor Beaton is a New York City-based men's group facilitator, speaker, and teacher. And he's been guiding both men and women in the realms of life purpose, relational communication, and sexual intimacy. Connor is the founder of Man Talks, an international organization dedicated to building better fathers, husbands, and leaders. Connor has a way of blending Jungian psychology, somatic processing, real-life wisdom to help people find their true paths in life, love, and business. And Dr. Seri Satnam is a licensed marriage family therapist, received his BA in psychology from Carleton College in Minnesota, his master's in clinical psychology from Antioch University, and his PhD in depth psychology from Pacific Graduate Institute in Carpinteria, California. In the 1980s, he became the first director of training or teacher training in Kundalini Yoga, and he is the author of The Pocket Guru, Guidance and Mantras for Spiritual Awakening and Emotional Wisdom. And you may have also seen him on The Therapist, which aired on Viceland, where he's conducting therapeutic sessions for celebrities. And now I'd like to turn it over to our guests. Uh, You'll each have three minutes to speak about really what's on your mind, uh, what's coming up for you with, um, well, Actually, it's up to you, wherever you are. And we're going to start. We're going to do it in the order that I just introduced everyone. So starting with John, and then Preston, and then Connor, and Doctor Siri. So John, you are on. All right. Hi everybody.
2: Uh, f- first of all, just thank you, thank you, Preston, thank you, Connor, thank you, Doctor Siri, for coming. Um, I, I I really I really felt like it was important, um, especially for Preston and Connor and uh, who, you know guys who lead men's work and lead men's programs um, and work with men um, extensively to get on and talk about this and so you know I I don't claim to have any answers I, I claim to actually be pretty ignorant in, in much of in much of what the black experience is um, but I'm there's a meta piece that I think is really important for us to have presence right at the beginning which is that my my uh, my belief is that virtually every problem that we have we are experiencing on the planet including this one is the result of the unconsciousness of men. And if you look at if you trace every problem that we're experiencing right down to coronavirus there is greed and unconsciousness in leadership and mainly that leadership 99% of that leadership is men. And so to me the primary work is to raise consciousness of men because there are some men whose, whose minds are never going to be changed, but there are plenty of very good, very deep, very loving, very compassionate men that um, when they become aware become awoken to injustice and I believe that I, and I've seen that this last few weeks i've seen it in me that was my experience I, I saw that I saw a few tapes i you know i saw um uh people getting murdered in the middle of the street. I saw people getting strangled and brutality and something cracked in me that kind of woke me out of a, you know, uh, sort of a slumber of get things done, right? Just focus on my world, focus on what's right for me. And I, I have to believe that most of the men on the planet are like that. So I think that the problem, I look at this relationally and we have a relationship between white America and black America. White America been in leadership for most of the all of the time, actually. And to repair a relationship, there needs to be a reconciliation, a full reconciliation. And so what that looks like to me is it looks like white America and primarily, uh, like I said, white men who've been in charge and are still in charge for the most part, coming to black America and making a reconciliation. Uh, What that looks like, I think there's a lot of really brilliant black leaders that can tell us, but it's got to start with us taking full responsibility for what we've co-created and what we've allowed what we've allowed, and so as a, a leader of primarily white men, most of my programs are ninety percent uh, white men. Um, so as a leader of white men, this is my uh, intention to, to to deliver this message and to do my best um, to raise consciousness. And so I'm super grateful that that uh, Connor, Preston, Doctor Siri, you guys are here to help raise consciousness.
1: So thank you very much. Great, thank you, John. Let's go to Preston.
3: Beautiful, man. Thanks for sharing. Uh, blessings and blessings, everybody. My name is Preston Smiles, as uh, uh, previously mentioned. Uh, and uh, what's on my heart, what's on my mind is a deep gratitude, a knowing that uh, we are birthing something that, potentially, that feels uncomfortable for a lot of people. Uh, but being a father of three, we have uh, twins and a two-year-old, And being there for the process and and watching my wife in our house in Venice go through that process and feel like she couldn't go any further. And then she did. And then to see and experience um, my son come out and it's just us in the room. That reminds me of what we're up to right now. There's, There's all this magic and all this beauty on the other side of facing the uncomfortable, facing the the parts of each and every one of us that we don't want to look at. Um, I I said something today um, that's true for me, which is the same people who want black people to shut up and dribble and go back to how things were or make America great again, are the same people who fuel these child trafficking and pedophilia the porn industry uh, they think women are less than they hate gay people all of it, it's deeply connected mexicans are dirty and uh, rapists and all of that is all deeply connected and so this is a humanitarian crisis this is an opportunity for all of us to lean in hmm, and be brave enough courageous enough right it's, it's so interesting because over the last let's call it 10 years it's, it's been very easy and i'm not speaking about all of you but maybe this may resonate with some of you it's been so easy to post flowery quotes about being brave and using your voice even when it shakes but then in a moment when we need it so many people have walked themselves back into their turtle shell and and hmm, played a little interesting game called pr- pr- protection and perfection wanting to get it right we teach most of us are teachers we're light workers we're healers we're coaches we say step up we say be brave we say lean in to the discomfort. And yet when some of our brothers and sisters are saying, hey, this has been happening our whole lives, self-included, you can ask me 20 questions and most of them would be yes. Have you been spit on? Yes. Have you been called a nigger 50,000 times? Yes. Have you been punched by the police? Yes. At 12, like this is not a new thing. It's just a thing that's come up to be looked at and loved on and as much energy as we put into tiger King and, and all the other things and veganism and, and, you know, me too, that's the energy we're asking you to step forward and, and and to just ask yourself if this was me, if these were my kids, would I turn my back? Right. Uh, One of the best practices I keep working on and John has helped me work on this is stepping back in the room Right. Every time I want to disconnect from my wife, every time I want to blame her, every time I want to step away and, and feel hurt and pain and, oh, it's her, 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 and justify and come up with all the evidence I possibly can, I just keep saying, step back in the room, which to me means open my heart and hear, listen, be, connect. I know that people are sharing this uh, these videos, which essentially say, go ahead, back to complacency, and they, they, there's... Clever misdirection and using black faces to say you don't have to do anything anymore. Uh, But let me be one of the other black faces that says, yes, you do. Because it's your friends, your families, your cousins, your brothers, your uncles. It's the people at Thanksgiving that say that dirty joke about Jews or Mexicans or whites or or whoever. The, The bravery. That's what we're asking for. It's just clean up your own consciousness and say, hey, dad, tell me about that. Hey, guy on the street who thinks that I'm a bro, tell me about that. Or hey, I noticed that nigger comment in, on Preston's YouTube instead of just passing over it, because it's not my problem. Let me jump in and see if I can help this happen to be white gentleman see that Preston is so much more than a nigger, right? What is his paradigm? What is his worldview and how can I help him bridge that? Because obviously he can't hear him. So that's that's, my request. I can only speak for me. There's a lot here and there's a lot of emotion, and I'm proud of all of us. Uh, I, I'm deeply proud of all of us for continuing to step in and step forward just by way of you being here. Says something about your heart, says something about your connection to the world, says something about um, your care. So thank you. Excited to dive in a little more, but that's us Dive to. in. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. Thank you for your call to wow. bravery. Love thank you, bro. Connor, let's go to you. Yeah. Thanks so much, Preston. I mean, I I don't have too much to say, John, thank you for organizing this and everyone that's showing up. It's so, you know, incredible to see over 550 people just on this call having this conversation. I think for a lot of people, this isn't an easy conversation. You know, I think for a lot of people, they're not sure how to have this conversation. They're not sure how to lean into it. They're not sure how to have it with their family members when they hear it. You know, they're not sure how to have it with their friends when they hear ignorant, racist comments and, you know, I had a call yesterday with a bunch of men in an online group that I run and this, this conversation came up and I was like, how do I have this conversation with my family? How do I have this conversation with my friends when they do say racist shit, when they do cross the line, when they are ignorant? And so, you know, I think just recognizing that, that a part of this is leaning into that discomfort and i think I'll, I'll use the words of a much wiser man dr cornell west who said empathy is not simply a matter of trying to imagine what others are going through but having the will to muster enough courage to do something about it and in a way empathy is predicated on hope and so for me this this empathy this empathy that we speak of is an action right we actually have to be in action we have to do something about it and it's about learning how to have these conversations and for me, that's a huge process, right? It's like learning learning how to have these conversations. I think somebody's saying that they can't hear me properly, um, but learning how to have these conversations is is incredibly, incredibly important. And so, you know, I I don't have all the answers, like John said. And I think you know one of the one of the main pieces for me is, is about the, the, the strength and the, and the softness, right? I, I heard George Floyd's brother, Terrence speak the other day and he, I don't know who he quoted. I can't remember who it was, um, but I'm sure somebody on here knows. And he said, peace on the left justice on the right. And so for me, this is the reminder that we have to have love and boundaries, right? We have to, we have to meet hate with an open heart. We have to meet hate with a little bit of love, but we also have to meet it with the firm strength of like, this is enough, right? We have to be able to say, this is a fucking enough, it's not good enough anymore. Right. It's not good enough. And it needs to come from all of us. It can't just come from our black brothers and sisters. It has to come from us too, every single one of us. right? We have to be able to stand up for this. You know, I grew up in Canada watching the indigenous people be you know, put down and put 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 less than the, when, than the white men and women. It was very challenging to see, you know, and get, going out and playing hockey uh, with with these young men and learning about their lives and hearing it and seeing it firsthand. and They're angry. Right. And there's a lot of angry people right now. So we need to be able to meet that anger and understand it and hear it and have these types of conversations. And it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be clean. There's going to be some mess to it. And we just need to be okay with that. And I think that's been, that's been the biggest piece for me. So I'll, I'll just leave it at that. I'm here to listen just as much as you are. And um, yeah, thanks again, John, for putting this on. Yeah. Right on, yeah. Connor. Thank you. Uh, let's go to Dr. Siri. As
5: it is very humbling to be here with this tribe of men, I think there's a very integral uh, moment in time and space. Uh, to evoke change, that we as men must learn to come together to empower self and to reach the potentiality of being. We have uh, been raised primarily to be stoic. And so this decreases the possibility of emotional literacy. I get a number of men, most of the men that come and work with me in my private practice, I will say, Let's go into your heart. And these men humbly and lovingly in almost a boyish kind of way say, I don't know how to do that. And I think this is the one of the major problems within uh, male development is that we're to be hard, we're to be stoic but we're not to be emotionally present. So thus, we have trouble relating to our wives. We have trouble relating to each others. to each other. We will even kill each other. I was, uh because we do not know, know how to effectively express what we're feeling. It's like if our ladies get, we get upset with our ladies. We We can call her out of her name, but we have trouble saying, baby, you hurt me. We as men do not identify with hurt and I was thinking of this like the guns. I was like, I, I in my meditation is like, I wonder if we can just honor the Constitution and let the people keep the guns but take away the bullets. If we no longer sell bullets, let them keep their guns. You have the right. That's your right. But you don't have the right to have a bullet. There's nothing in the Constitution about that. So I was, I would like some legislation that bullets become lethal bullets become illegal. Uh, And, you know, I've been Black many decades, and I've seen a lot. It's like I experienced the Watts riots. My mother, my light-skinned mother, was teaching at Markham Junior High School, and so she was on the bus, one of the first buses trying to get out of there because we were burning our own neighborhood. So my mother was on that bus where she got home, and she was a little traumatized from rocks hadn't been thrown at the bus And after that, I realized I, an educated man, I think at that time I had my Bachelor of Arts, didn't know a darn thing about my own history. All I learned was what I learned from the school books at that time, which were Blacks were a slave. There was one sentence and that was it. Whoever is in power gives the education. So I realized and none of my other brothers and sisters knew black history at that time, I had to go to the library and teach myself. And at that particular time, there was a black uprising and they wanted black history and black literature taught in the LA public school system. Nobody could teach it because nobody knew it. So I went, I took the the call and I studied for a whole year. I read from before the Mayflower, I read them all. And then I got the job and began teaching. At the same time, I experienced a lot of uh, discrimination in teaching it. That white administrator wanted to fire me every day of the week because I was teaching black history. The real black history. If you get into black history, it's brutal. It's very uncomfortable. It is no walk in the park. He tried to fire me every day. And one day I said to him, I said, do you hear about these white administrators who get kicked? Oh, get kicked out of these black schools? And anyway, the rest of the faculty stood up. He tried to fire me and he got fired. Went to the Board of Education. So when we come together in consciousness, things can be done. I have seen that happen. Well, number one, we don't know our own history as black people. This is one thing we have to start doing. It is only in the last few years that white men get arrested for killing a black man. Okay, arrested It's only, they beat the doo-doo out of Rodney King. Arrested, now we're going for, can white men get charged for killing a black man? We're going for charge, let a black man kill a white man. It's no arrested, charged, now can we get the third one, convicted. We need, the, if you go to the 14th amendment, it says, Equal protection of the laws of the citizens. If a black, the black, you look at Minnesota history, there's one black, there's one policeman that has been, is in jail and he's black and he killed a white woman. And here they are talking about not trying to eat, get a charge for these white policemen killing this black man. So there's a lot of in- inequality and uh, I've seen many decades of it. So I think this is a very important conversation. I'm impressed with I look in the streets and it's like, wow, it's more than white people in the streets. That's very humbling. That's very moving to see that. Uh, I know that's when things will really get I think it was Jane Fonda who said, you know, when white people begin to use their privilege against white power, things can change. So I'm very moved by that. Well, thank you, Dr. Siri, for being here today. Uh, thank you for those powerful words.
1: Um, we're going to open it to questions in a moment, so you can start raising your hand in the participant button. You'll see at the bottom, you'll have a place to raise your hand. And, and as they're preparing to do that, I'd like to ask the four of you, what's the what's the deep inner work that the especially cisgender white men must be doing right now to get to terms with their own conscious and unconscious and subtle and not so subtle racial biases. Let's start with Preston.
3: Yep. (laughs) So, um,
1: this is dive right in. I mean, this is the, this is the
3: question, right? Yeah. 100% man. Um, this is for everybody, uh, man or woman. It's come out of the closet. That's, that's my biggest challenge to any and everybody come out of the closet. I mean, if you could see, and I have 220,000 followers, if you could see the amount of messages I get, especially from uh, white men and women influencers, they have 180,000 X, Y, and Z people following them who leave nice comments on my page, but in my inbox, in my text messages, it's, hey, I've been one of those women who's ran to the other side of the street when I saw a man that looked like you. It's, hey, I have friends, actual friends, a dear friend who's like admitted to me not publicly, but to me, man, I've, I've framed black men before for things that I've done, right? This is my, our challenge is I'm, I'm challenging you to come out of the closet and allow yourself to be seen because as long as it's this secret that we hide over here, this is why porn and all the other things are raging because we're, we're trying to be so perfect and look so good and not get anybody to put a negative comment or see us in any other light than Jesus that there's no space for us to actually heal it. So this is a call for everybody to say, you know what? I'm gonna own that I've just been absolutely ignorant as far as this goes. I'm gonna own that I've, you know, essentially been like, they're animals looking for handouts. If you've had any of that conversation in your head, if you've had any of the, you know what, I took face value, the few images that the the, the news has shown me. And I just wanna put this in here really quick, Ted. Those of you who are not educated on the doll test, I challenge you to go look. There was a doll test done in the 1940s and then in 2012 and 2015 and 2016, and the same results happen every single time. They put kids, all races, back, uh, ethnicities, um, and they ask them to sit in front of two dolls and they say, which doll is the pretty doll? Which doll is the ugly doll? Which doll is the good doll? Which doll is the bad doll? And across the board, no matter if they're black, Mexican, white, whatever, the white doll is always the good doll. Now we have to ask ourselves why? Where does it come from? And are you willing to own and and just see how everything that is good, every movie, Dirty Harry, every G.I. Joe's Hulk Hogan, everything, Jesus, Santa Claus, everything that is good that has been painted as good looks a certain way. Snow White, every part of Disney, the, the, the crayons in the, in the coloring box that say this is skin color, like all of it is a way to program each and every one of us to believe something about ourselves. And the other, now who's the other? That's the thing we gotta ask ourselves. So the women who receive millions of messages trying to make you hate yourself and your thighs and your titties and your lips, that times a hundred, face off with it. That's my challenge, educate yourself, period. And, And if you have some skeletons in your closet, if there are cobwebs that you know are there, but you'd rather just compartmentalize and talk them away because you don't want to be seen a certain way. That's to me, that's the gift. That's the gift to your families, to your friends. No, no black person ever has to hear it. This is about owning like, Hey guys, I know everybody's saying racism doesn't exist. Systematic racism doesn't exist, but here's how I play a part in it. To me, that's true bravery because the moment we come out of the closet and get that there's only one of us here, truly, um, I was um, remembering a Bible verse uh, where Jesus said, what you do to the least of my brothers, you also do to me. And then as soon as I remember that Bible verse, it jumped me to this Native American quote uh, where he said, man did not weave the web of life. He is merely a strand in it. Whatever he does to the web, he also does to himself. Now, uh, both of those quotes from different, you know, lineages say the same thing to me, which is we're all in this together. Any of you who have ever done plant medicine or ever had a moment or a journey where you went deep, you got it, boom, there's only one of us. And then we come out and we go, well, I'm good. I'm good, right? Never really questioning. They're so violent. They're so X, Y, and Z. Well, is it true? Is it actually true with a capital T, like facts true? Or is this a story I've been sold starting with the first cartoons I ever saw, starting with the history books that I read, starting with all of the way that I've been Mm. Programmed to believe that white is right. We have to ask ourselves why Indians and Asians want to dye their skin lighter. What is that? How do we get to that place? And are you willing to be a part of it, a part of the solution? That's all I got, Ted. I'm sorry. I went over
1: time, but I I get going and I can't. It's beautiful. No, thank you. Uh, Dr. Siri, John, Connor, what's the deep work we need to do?
5: Dr. Siri. Uh, maybe uh, embodying my own emotional literacy, that uh, we have to have a conversation to where I'm trying, to, where we have to say, "See that I'm human. It's just sad. I mean, as a black man of many decades, I could just think of my own personal degradation as a doctor. I have I worked in a social service agency in the black community to where I was the most popular therapist and I had more cases than anyone in the black community. They lost their contract and they could only keep one licensed therapist. And so there was one guy who had been there longer than me. I was the only black licensed therapist there. And one of his cronies who was a supervisor, but I want you to know, Having been raised in Jim Crow, you know, you develop a sensitivity. I walked into that agency and I looked at her. I went, oh, my God, there's Judas. First I first time I looked at her. And so she came up with some trumped up charge on me. And one of the other white licensed therapists says, Siri, we all do that. I said, so now you see it. So she came up with this trumped up charge so I could get fired so her crony could keep the job. So I have experienced that. I was walking across the street in Mission Hills, getting ready to go to the, the Osteel doctor so I can keep walking. My knee's are getting bad. And I was called a nigger just walking across the street. This is two years ago. I was just crossing the street. I mean, so as Black people, we have been lynched, beat, castrated, tarred and feathered. So we have some kind of humility and fear and grace and anger. All of that is in there. What I suggest to all white people is read the book, White Like Me, number one. Start there. That's written by a white gentleman who is very conscious. And it's so interesting. There's one episode in there, I remember, where he's talking about his grandmother. And his grandmother fought for for racial equality. And she came down with Alzheimer's. And she was there in the hospital. This conscious woman fought all her life and she couldn't even recognize her own uh, children. And a black nurse walked into the room and she said, get that nigger out of here. That's how deep the racial prejudice is in white people. She couldn't remember anything else, but she saw that black woman and remembered what she was maybe throughout her entire life trying to overcome. So I say, so start start with white like me and you, and, and the white people have to start having conversations with yourselves. We don't need to be there. We don't need to be there. You have to uncover your own goddamn shit. Okay, it's, you have put this on us, so it's on you. Did I lose my religion? I'm sorry, I'm spiritual anyway. So anyway, so the other thing uh, is that I, as a therapist, you can say anything to me. I mean, I work with Caucasians, Jewish. I have more Asian clients than I got black people. Straight, gay, atheist. I love people. I really honestly love people. I have had one client came to me one time and she talked about that her mother had, uh, the the black help came into the house and they asked for a glass of water. And she gave them a glass of water. And after She gave the glass of water. She broke the glass. My client was traumatized and sharing that story to me. I didn't respond as a black man. I went, oh, wow, what does that do to you? I can be neutral. I heard stories the other day of of a client, a white client, grappling with the racial uh, sort of quagmire that her family was going to. She told the whole story. At the end, I said, wow, that's really exhausting. I can be neutral. As a therapist, I am neutral. My blackness does not come into the session. Yet as as now, right now, you're seeing a black man who's been wounded, who's been hurt, who's been segregated against. I'm in pain, along with the majority of my other brothers and sisters. So what do you have to do? You have to start having your own conversations. With us not there and and uprooting your own racial stuff, we can't help you.
4: uh uh-huh. aho, uh-huh. Connor, I- would you like to jump in still, or John? Yeah, I can. I can just say something really quick. You know, okay. I think I think part of the work that we need to do, and and Dr. Siri, that was that was incredible. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think part of the work that we need to do is understand and teach ourselves and teach teach our friends, teach our family members, teach our, our brothers how to actually feel shame, you know, how to actually allow ourselves to feel and open ourselves to the experience of shame, because so many of us have constructed lives and relationships where we avoid feeling it. And most of our life is, is spent avoid feeling any, any sort of any form of shame, any form of pain, right? We are actively in pain avoidance. And then we play this game as a society of my pain is worse than yours right? We can't, I can't hear you. I can't hear the pain that you've been through. And so we need to be able to teach one another how to alchemize, for lack of a better word, pain, how to actually feel deeply into it, into our own pain, but also into the pain of other people, to be able to see it and witness it and hold space for it and understand it and, and sit with it, to sit with our own and to sit with another's. And if we can't do that, we, we, have, a, we have a big problem, right? Because we can't do the basic thing of, of say, Black Lives Matter, right? We can't do the basic thing, because we, we are so blind by, well, I'm in pain and you're in pain. And that person over there had a hard time and they had a hard upbringing. They had a traumatic childhood. And all the excuses and distractions just pour out, right? We just puke out these distractions from being able to just sort of hear and sit with the pain that, we've, that we have been dealt and felt and that we continue to pass on. So I think that's one of the major things that we need to be able to do is how we as men, especially how we as men live our lives trying to avoid pain, trying to avoid shame, and we need to teach one another how to actually feel it and alchemize it and and move through it and, and live in such a way where we can keep our hearts open to other people's pain. Because if we can't feel our own, we are certainly not going to sit with another's. Right? I've seen this countless times. A man who has a closed heart to his own pain is not able to feel another's, not able to feel his partners, his family members, his brothers, his sisters, whoever it is right so we have to teach ourselves as men to open ourselves to our own pain and I think that's that's where we really really start and then end this sort of you know hierarchy of suffering of of pain comparison of suffering comparison it does no good on our side so I think that's a huge part of of what we uh what we need to do specifically so I'll just leave that there
2: Thank you it's great yeah. Uh, I love what Dr. Siri said about, about, you know, we need to do our own work. We need to look at our own hearts. And Connor, I think you, I think for at least the men that I work with, you really nailed it, which is that men need to cultivate nervous system strength so that they can feel the injustice and the pain happening because the the knee jerk reaction is to turn away from the George Floyd. I bet if we asked a hundred white men, have they seen the George Floyd tape? 95 would say no because it's just too hard to sit there and keep your heart open and watch it and be with the pain and the emotion that arises. And so part of, I think, you know, part of the work that at least white men we need to do is to cultivate a nervous system strength, to be able to be with our own hearts. And from there, you know, I believe in the goodness of humanity. Uh, You know, I still do. (laughs) Um, It's hard sometimes from there we'll be compelled to stand up for justice. We we could not the only reason I think the only reason why men that I know, good men that I know, do not stand up more for justice um, is because they they turn away from their feelings, just like Connor was saying. So I think you're spot on, and if there're men on this call, I would say if you want to do something to really support this, like find a way to be with your feelings around it. The second piece is I I think that there's a big chunk of shadow work that needs to be done as white men on our relationship to other on our relationship to blackness, on our relationship to other, on, I mean, there's a certain being, we have to own, and it's really fucking uncomfortable, the part of us that is racist, the part of us that, that hates other, the part of us that's scared of other, the part of us that is terrified of other. And, um, and that's, a, that's a big chunk of work that, that most men I know have not, especially white men, have not entered into. And I'll say it one more time. I think that men have a reckoning on the planet. We're hopefully entering into a century or two where men are going to have to reconcile what they've done to the planet, what they've done to women, what they've done to black people, what they've done to indigenous cultures, what they've done to anybody that's not white. And, uh, and we're going to have to reckon with that. So a lot of fucking work for us to do. So we, thank you all for that. And, uh, and, and let's take some questions. I know there's a lot of people that have questions here, so...
1: There are. Uh, the first person up is Julie Henderson. You can unmute yourself.
6: Hello, everyone hear me okay? Yes. I just want to first thank Dr. Siri and Connor, Preston, John Wyman. It makes me feeling your structure and the bravery in your heart and the need of the warrior in you that wants to provide a solution for the world and wants to die for this cause can feel your beating and yearning hearts. Well so thank you first of all. And I want to thank John Wyland. I'm getting emotional, but I have listened to your your work probably every day for the past several years and you have been one of my greatest teachers. You have opened me up and broken me and I know and not know everything. I know myself and I I know my pain, and I'm with my pain, and I dance with my pain more than ever before. So I, I thank you for providing your gifts to the world, for existing. I, I feel my heart beating. I feel very vulnerable, and I'm biracial. My, I have a beautiful white mama and a beautiful, strong black father, and I have been born one with these two opposing forces. And this has been one of my life's greatest pains and conflicts. To love both to be in the history and without the history of the oppressor and the oppressor and john one of your teachings that i couldn't stop listening to was how to love without history and i have been plagued by this question of is it possible how is it possible that we now in this current state how can we be with our history of race and yet be without it because i feel the god in all of it I feel the God with our history. I feel the pride of my ancestors, of my black grandma who raised seven kids on her own, and my father who flunked out of medical school. I mean, flunked out of high school and then became a doctor. I know, I feel the black pain in my body. I know of it. And yet, I also, and I tenderly admit this, my heart breaks when I see a white woman forced to kneel before a black man and apologize for her whiteness. That is my mama, and it hurts me. You see, white people have to prove they're not anti-racist. And they're, so I, I give this, I give this pain as an offering and I hope you'll take it tenderly and give me the benefit of the doubt. But this is something that I ask you, is it possible? How can we see the light and dark? How can we be in the light and dark of our history and yet be in the magic of it and be of it, but not, not in the, let, let the wounding, how can we unstack these beautiful chains we have, our power and our greatest weakness? I know this is a fully loaded question, but I'm just going to go from there.
1: Yeah, our moderators I'll, who I'll are our speakers. In, yeah, please. Sean. I'll, I'll jump in really
2: quick cause she addressed it to me. And I, I, I think the way that Dr. Siri approached this where he said like, look at me, I'm human, I'm human. And in recognizing his humanity in that moment, time falls away, right? And so recognizing, a black man, a white woman, um, uh, a First Nation man. However, recognizing the shared humanity is a way for history to fall away and fully recognizing it. So we can practice looking at the surface of each other, which is what we do. 99% of the time, we look at the surface, we feel the surface. We can look a little deeper. I can look a little deeper into your eyes and I can feel your heart And in doing that, our separation disappears. And then I can practice looking even deeper than your heart and into your soul. And doing that, we become one. And there's literally a timeless space. Now that's fucking beautiful. And I love that practice, but that does not speak to the structural changes that need to happen for there to be justice in the world. And we cannot we cannot practice spirituality. This is what I believe now. We cannot practice spirituality while allowing injustice to, you know, continue. Uh, I, I just don't think and those of us in the yoga community and the spiritual community can't, you know, have those kind of experiences without acknowledging this also needs to fucking change. Um, otherwise, I don't think we're ever going to f- feel truly whole. Um, so that's, that's for me. I'd love to hear what the other men have to say.
3: Mm. I didn't necessarily hear a question, but uh, my listening, would. I'd have to, what's your question?
6: I'll say that. I'm curious. You're, it's more of a, how can we be without the history of our race mm. and be with it at the same time? I want, I need to honor my ancestors and the pain. I, I, I'm in it. But yet, yeah, I don't want to be enslaved and my, the mind patterns. I want to free myself. The God within me. How does spirituality really, why is spirituality for me, it feels like it's always dropped when it comes
5: to race?
3: Mm. Truth. Um, I'm going to listen for now. Dr. Siri, I see you.
5: Yeah. I don't like the word power. I don't like white power. I don't even like black power. I think. If you say power, that brings into a, 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 a difference there where some people are on top and some have people have it and some don't. You know, I, we keep using the word in our constitution, equality. That, you know, if we get into the fact that all people are created equal, everyone is a human. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. Anyone who comes into my practice, I see them honestly as the breath of God. If it, I don't care, you tell me you've been on crack or you did this or you did that. I consider it an honor that this individual has come to me saying, I want to look at my consciousness. I want to elevate it. I've been through this. So I'm saying we just need to level the ground and get out of the power stuff. Like we have this man in the office that is the epitome of white power. The epit no, not the epitome, the pinnacle of white power. And so as long as we have elected officials like that, we will have difficulty coming to the equality. You being bi-ethnic, that's beautiful, but you have to get into the beauty of that. That's, that's a unique exotic configuration. You have to get into the beauty of that so we can see the beauty of that. Although I know you experience some of the same pain as being all black, you know, from the, as you know, you being bi-ethnic, that's just like, I'm not white enough, I'm not black enough. That's very painful, I understand. But yet you have to do the work where you can see that you too are all God. All of you is God. You're not the total God. I'm not the total God, but all of you is God. And so I think when we get into that consciousness, the spirituality, we begin to live. That everybody is the breath of God and everyone is equal, not more powerful than the other.
3: All right. I want to jump in just real quick because I love everything that's transpiring. I just want to put this in this space. Um, From my experience, the most dangerous drug on the planet, the most detrimental thing that has uh, destroyed families and just nations, is this word called being right. And what I hear under uh, questions that I'm perceiving is, how do I get this right? How do I land in the perfect spot where nobody is ever mad or where I am balanced, right? Balance for me, and I know some of you will disagree, is a clever word for how do I control it's just another word for control. I want to, to work-life balance. Nothing is ever in balance. That Everything is always moving, shifting, and changing. And so uh, what I hear under some of these conversations is how do I get it right? How do I get it perfect? And therefore, um, we can't be in the dance. I can't really dance if I'm trying to get the dance moves right. I can't really allow. I can't really get out of my way if I'm trying to make sure that it's not like this or it is like that. I've had some of my friends reach out and they've been swept up by the same media that some of you have, which is showing images of looters and rioters. uh, And and they cherry pick like they have since the beginning of news, uh, the black rioters and the black looters to feed the example that we are animals and X, Y, and Z. And what I offer to my friends is it takes all types, all of nature. I have seen ants, horses, trees, all of nature is violent. It does what it does. And yes, we are, we have reflective consciousness. So we are hmm, superior. And I did quotes there. The moment we, we, we stop trying to grab at life and get it right, which goes back to my first conversation about all of you who happen to be of lighter skin. A.k.a. white. Um, the rightness. I want to say the right thing. I don't want to offend all, everything that's under that is control. And my invitation to each and every one of you is to, Let go of it a little bit because everything that can be in control is, and there's some things. There's a reason why we all incarnated at this time in human history. We thought it was just to enjoy the internet and get rich and do yoga and forget about the people who are starving in the middle of Africa and the middle of India. We thought that it was about, oh, that's just the bad hand they got dealt. And yet all of us prayed through our way of being for harmony, for connection, for deep love. We said, spirit, God, Buddha, Krishna, Jesus, let us be connected in a way that we never have before. And this is the way it's come. And so I, I challenge you to begin to uh, sort of unearth this, the, the mental constructs of right and wrong, good and bad. Uh, and I'm not talking to you anymore, my love, Julie. I'm talking to all of us, self-included. Because what's under all of it is how do I get this right? How do I be right? Maybe that was a tangent, but I'm just putting that in
1: the space. Uh uh-huh. hope. Thank you, Preston. Thank you, Julie, for your question. We're going to move on to Yaron Ingler.
7: Hello everyone. Um it's quite amazing to be here. Um Preston that was a beautiful tangent. Thank you for all your tangent tangent ten- and and Dr. Siri and and all of you for hosting this. It's a bit hard to just ask a question after all this. Because a lot of stuff comes up but I will respect the space and I'll just go for the question. As a leader of men's group I've been with John for a quite a few years, and just like Julie said, it's been transformational, and I'm really, really grateful. Um, And I've been with this work since since I started five years ago, nonstop, and what I've seen continuously in my circles, in John's circles, in other circles that I came here in the UK, I see white men, and it continuously pisses me off, And it feels wrong. And, and one of the best examples, I, I did a weekend with the Band of Brothers, which is um, an organization that works intentionally men's groups with young offenders. And I spoke to the organizers, and they told me that are, they're trying to bring the black guys in. And there were a few black guys that came in the first evening. They all left in the end of the day. So my question is, what the fuck are we doing wrong? Because it feels like as a white man... And yeah, I'm a fucking Jew, so maybe I have a privilege of being fucked as well, but it's not good enough because I don't wear it on my face. And I do understand the difference. And I do recognize everything that you guys said. I, I can own this. I can own this. I'm not considering myself as a racist at all. I'm full of love. Dr. Siri. what you said, seeing the, 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 the soul of people, I can see that yet. I've been afraid of black men when I cross the street sometimes. I was, my dad told me that a good Arab is a dead Arab as an Israeli I, I, I heard this shit, so I will own this, and I will continue to do this work, but I, as a white man, how the fuck can I bring more black men into this work, because I truly believe in it, mm-hmm. yet at the same time I'm asking myself, is it full, complete bullshit that I believe in this, because maybe it's just for privileged motherfuckers like me. Mm-hmm. So the question is mainly to you, Preston and Dr. Siri, how can we bring more, is, is it um, okay for me as a white man to think that i can that that it's it's a space for, for black men do i need to change what i do or what we do or like where where are we taking this from here that's my question
5: um god i'm so uh, moved today by everyone i feel your pain as uh, i sincerely do and uh this is why i said that white men need to Have their own conversations, I think, for a good, you know, say, for instance, 10 months, uh, 10 weeks, and then let one black man come in and then we'll see where you are. Uh, because what they heard was, it's like, oh, no, I got to get out of here. That's where they are. And you need a safe place to where you can talk about what your dad taught you, to what your own fears are what you embody. You need a safe space with your other white brothers to where you can say what you need to say without a black man going, I can't take it. You need to, you know, for a good, say, you know, 10 weeks, have a 10-week forum to where You and your brothers come together and discuss and let this stuff out and heal each other and then slowly invite us. And the longer we stay, let you know, the more you healed. (laughs) If I make any sense, it's not as a judgment, but it's like sometimes, you know, it's like they don't get it. You know, and it's like and that's why they left. They don't get it. So I'm saying you have to come to, you know, raise your consciousness, purify it uh investigated uh defended all of that have your own workshops but i think it'd be very very uh what's the word uh prote- uh i can't think of the word very uh commendable if you were to start a group with just your own white brothers and get in there and start having those own those very uncomfortable conversations and say all your racial stuff just let it out in a non-judgment space am i making any sense to you
7: Absolutely. I have done it. But actually, now that you say this, Monday session will be all about that. I can promise you. Thank you.
3: I'll I'll do this quickly. I promise I will, guys. Um, One, thank you. Thank you for doing the work, whether it's all white, all Mexican, all black, all anything. Uh, Any man who chooses to work on himself is a man that I respect, period. Uh, Two, if those men who are working on themselves recognize any of their own wounds and traumas and biases and prejudice. And I'm just piggybacking off the Dr. Siri. Uh, and then they raise sons and daughters who now have a different experience of what a man who happens to be of lighter skin, how that man carries himself. Then you have done your work. you on period. Uh, you know, um, those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, right? Like uh, we all have, we all carry a frequency and a vortex. And if those men are not coming into your space, it's because some part of your frequency is not calling them in. And yet there is nothing wrong with that, right? Because we all do our parts. You and I are brothers, you know, we're connected, we're tapped in, right? If we ever went deep and sat in ceremony or whatever we do, we, we come out and be like, yep, I yep, right? We know, and that's to all of you guys. So trust the process. Trust the unfolding, the people who can, who Connor can get to always find their way to Connor. The people who John can get to always find their way to John. And with conscious man brotherhood, like when we're running man caves, there's usually at least let's say five to seven brothers in there. And so, and that's changing, right? It's shifting. It's changing. Uh, I just want to mention Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so uh, this goes back to, and you're right, you're not wrong, quote unquote wrong about like, most of the spaces are usually white women. And then if there's a men's group, it's white men. uh, That goes back to the systematic racism that most of us think don't exist. So when you need food and you have seven jobs and you're also being beat up by the police and afraid to walk through your own neighborhood and everybody else in your neighborhood is also in pain and deeply hurting and traumatized, then the likelihood that you're going to be like, let me spend $4,000 on Yaron's or John Wineland's or Connor's program goes very, very low. So uh, it's okay, brother. You're doing your part. You beat. We beat um, white supremacy and there's nothing supreme about it. We beat systematic racism by... Raising the, our vibrations and lifting each other up. Remember, it, it's not the load that breaks us down, but the way we carry it. It's not the load that breaks us down, but the way we carry it. Each and every one of us can can take our part. And brother, I see you. I feel you. I I go to John, right? I go to John. I go to different people to learn, and then I go back and I tap my people. Right? We're all filling our cups, so we have so much overflow, so that we can we can get to the people we can get to. That's all I got to say. Uh, love that question, bro. Yes.
2: I fucking love that question too, Yaron. And I, I, I'm, I, I, Connor and I've actually talked about this, and I'm sure he has. He feels the same way, which is like, yeah, man, I would love to have more diversity in my groups. I would love to teach embodiment to more black men and you know men of color. I, 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 I agree. If if you're struggling to live and put food on the table, you know, paying for a men's program is tough, and even offering full scholarships or very close to full scholarships, like I've done. It's still, I can understand why a black man would not trust me. (laughs) Why should he? Why should he? I've done, I've done nothing really to show him that I'm trustable. So I think that, I think that the future of men's work will be led by black men. It should be in my opinion, right? It doesn't have to be completely, but I think it should be because, you know, it's just natural that they're going to trust, you know, a brother's going to want to, you know, at least know that there's some commonality that he can relax into and some shared pain. Right? A black man who really reveals his pain to me, you know, or you, Yaron, is is probably, uh, you know, I don't know. I think he's just going to be a lot more comfortable mm-hmm. knowing that Preston has, you know, has shared pain, or somebody else, you know, has shared pain, and I think that's a really important piece of it. Um, I don't know if that's the complete yeah. answer, but I do think that that's a part. That's a big piece of it.
1: Thank you. thank you for all those answers. We're going to go for our next question with Jen. Yeah, I believe it's Naimo. Naimo.
8: Yes, thank you. Um, I wrote it down because I, I want to be mindful of everybody's time. But thank you so much for um, being here today. I put this out to as many people as possible so that we could have this conversation. I was just saying this a week ago. I'm like, is this, where is this problem coming from? And I started to say, we really need to look at our men. And I feel we failed our men. And then this showed up in John's feed. And I just wanted to thank you. So I'm in the streets of Minneapolis. I'm sorry, I'm gonna get emotional. Um, I've been where the fires are. I've been with our people, and our memorial yesterday with George Floyd and his influence. So my question to you is, will you help me help our men from the beginning? I'm an educator. I'm a lifestyle medicine practitioner. I'm a lift driver. I'm a yoga practitioner. I'm a healer. I just gave up my teaching license after 25 years as I'm no longer interested in being a part of the problem. What we allow will continue. I'm opening a homeschool that this mission is centered around character strengths, as this is an immediate response to our school system that abandoned our children with with COVID, um, what started with digi- or, uh, our uh, distance learning, when people gave into their fears of the dynamic that was mostly invisible. This, this virus was invisible, and now what we're seeing is not how ironic that we can watch a man kill another man with his knee while he was tied up and not show that fear. So we are ready to teach what our people need to learn and when they're ready. And I don't want to miss the men and the people that are ready. So this is what this is my question to you. Can we all do this together? We all know that learning can take place and our consciousness cannot be raised if the mind is not ready or it's bored or it does not see the purpose and the voice is strangled. Our school system is failing our people. We have a mechanism for building strengths and giving everyone the equal opportunity to feel that they can use their voice without oppression and violence. Our systems are failing us. I'm always in action and I also want to take this conversation into action. We talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. I I, I know that we can all come together. If we can come together and do what we've done in this last week and a half, especially in the city of Minneapolis, I know that we can make this happen, and we need to change our school system. Reading and math and STEM and all of that is not helping. We need to teach our kids emotional literacy. We need to keep, teach our kids how to think and how to problem solve. This is not happening. We talk about social-emotional learning. It's not happening.
1: So, Jen, is it's your stop. is your question for the, our, our speakers, how do we yes. bring this into the school system? Yes.
8: Yes. Can we work together? I have the curriculum written. Great. Let's I'm let's take it from there, right
1: Jen. Thank let's you. take it from there and leave it to our speakers. Thank Would you. I, any of you like to take a
5: stab at this? Well, the educational system is a system. <laughs> you know. So already that's part of the systemic racism. So I I understand you leaving the system. Um. And I, you know, as a therapist, I did go into certain schools at the, you know, a lot of I was working with social service agencies and I was witnessing what they were teaching us. I had to, you know, we just like my clients, my children, there in the classroom and they are trying to bring more black education into the school system. Uh, but I think, number one, I always get to, it's like, I, I feel myself so impassioned as everyone who's come here on this uh, uh, platform today is very impassioned. It's like, it's going to take time, you know, healing is timeless. And so the thing is, is that we all, uh, you know, uh, George Floyd's death serve as a catalyst. And I think if we keep it in our heart, we'll be guided as to what we can do. You know, you individually, you know, everyone individually. And this this, conglom- then this conglomerate, um, mo- you know, uh, efforts will come to make some momentous change. But as long as we keep it in our heart and not just our head, there's a difference. If it's in our heart, we'll do the work. We'll work on ourselves, we'll work on others, we'll share, we'll educate. So I think you're in a great space and I just say, keep it in your heart and let it guide you. Yeah,
3: I'll just piggyback and and, and throw in a few little tidbits. Um, Number one, what I've noticed is we're strongest when we find allies. So uh, I would be on a campaign to find others. Like my kids will do something called unschooling where they learn from the world. They learn what they're interested in. Um, And so whatever uh, methodologies or things you think are awesome, uh, I would find more people like that and say, let's link arms and make this as big as humanly possible because the condition of the soil determines the productivity of the seed. The seed contains the blueprint for the entire tree. Each and every one of us is a blueprint for an entire tree. The soil that we're planted in is where the whole thing changes. Uh, if we plant ourselves in communities where people uh, are um, tapped in and and want to help, it makes everything else
4: easier. That's what I got, Connor. Yeah, I mean, I don't have too too much to say on this. I think it's it's finding the people who are in that space. You know, we we often want everything from, from everyone. I think sometimes, you know, we want, we want support from, from all ways. And I think it's about finding the the people who are, who are really advocates in that area, right? I'm not an educator. Um, And, and there are people far better equipped than myself to be able to help in that, in that space. And so I would say, find, find the people that you trust, find the people that have the skills, find the people that have the gifts and the passion in in order to do that. And yeah, I mean, we, we can, we can bring that into the, into the education space. So that's, that's all I really have to say.
2: Yeah, I'll just add really briefly that there's, you know, part of raising awareness means that we become aware of how systems were constructed. So for those of us that live in Los Angeles, there's a great book called City of Courts that basically discusses the way that Los Angeles was ghettoized and set up and the education system was set up. And so part of raising awareness is to actually get fucking aware of how these systems work and how black schools are underfunded because of property tax initiatives and how you can bring you know, other sources of funding into and, and so that the black schools and white schools or black neighborhoods and white neighborhoods that, that there's a there's an equality and and part of our work is to bring awareness in and you know I, I'm not an educator either, but I you know, I do, you know, I, I, I was sort of a, a, a budding young white revolutionary in grad school and and I read these books and I saw these histories and they made me sick then and they make me sick now. But most people don't know them. Most people don't know the history of Los Angeles or the history of New York. How these things were constructed, redlining, all this shit. We gotta, we get, you gotta learn this stuff if you're white and you want to make a difference.
1: Thank you. We have time for one more quick question, and then we're going to let all of our speakers wrap it up. So we're going to go to Max. Max Trombley.
9: <clears throat> hey guys, thanks, Preston, Dr. Siri, and Connor and John. This is fantastic. Yesterday, something really quite amazing happened. Um, first of all, my brother is married to a beautiful black woman, beautiful children. So half my family is black. And so, um, that's pretty great. I have an extended family that lives up in the Northeast. That's 50 people strong, incredibly conservative, Catholic, Fox News, Trump. Yesterday, my aunt called my brother and she asked, do you believe in white privilege? Now, my brother's immediate answer was, well, yeah. And he gave some, you know, here's how here's how I experience white privilege. And then my brother called me and he was like, man, what do I do with this call? And I thought about it. And my first inclination was, well, let's get a PDF together of all the ways that black black people are disadvantaged that we don't as white people recognize. But this morning I realized something else, which is that my aunt, who's a right wing Trump supporting Republican, is like a flower that just just started to open. And that question about white privilege was not about white privilege. That was about my aunt saying, what don't I know? So as I sat here this morning, I thought, how do you really approach that? How do I condition the soil of that flower so that the flower continues to open? So if I held a call with my family that is super Trump, super conservative, and pretty closed off to these ideas that challenge them, where do I start?
3: Okay, I have to, because I'm like bursting at the seams over here. Um, That's amazing, first and foremost, right? Just, this is what we're up to, by the way, all of us. We're just trying to get the people who are on the fence to just jump off the fence and say, I'm for humanity. And if that means being for the dolphins or the blacks or the freaking whatevers, I'm going to show up, right? That's what we're asking for. So I am so happy for you. I want to say this, what we appreciate, appreciates what we celebrate in ourselves and others gets repeated. If I was you, I'm not, but if I was you, I would celebrate the absolute crap out of that woman. I would text her now and say, Hey, I heard you called my brother, and I just want to say you like, thank you. That warmed my heart. It took me to a level I didn't know was possible. You're teaching me that an old dog can learn new tricks. You are teaching me that there is a part of each and every one of us that is still pure and, and, and knows that we're in this thing together. Mom, aunt, cousin, brother, whoever you are, I love you. Right? Like that bridge. That celebration to me is is the opening for that lotus flower to begin to just unfold. Right. And and that's Max, this is literally how I started this call as far as what I think is the most important thing. And you just said it again. Take care of yourself and your family, and I guarantee you'll take care of everybody else.
5: Well, uh, I think why I'm so moved today is because uh, having experienced so much degradation in my lifetime to see uh, these allies, Uh, that's very moving. Uh, Because we as black men don't trust white people. We don't trust you. And then to see and to feel these impassioned allies today is very moving to me. So I think we're really, really, really on the right path here. And I think, well, obviously if this system is not working, something is missing our awareness, some some, something. And I'd like to just put this out there, it's so interesting. I thought it the other day, I said number one, I think we need two things. We need an ongoing conversation that Caucasians have, like it's white deconstruction. You need a white deconstruction meeting ever so often, monthly, weekly, every two weeks, for a year. It's not gonna happen overnight you know, in terms of this healing and in terms of this purification of the consciousness where we can see you're not white and I'm black, but as humans. Or we can get to that consciousness. Um, so white deconstruction, white power deconstruction. And that's what it should be called. Number two, we need in every city and every state and on the federal level, a racial equality committee that de- derives policy, And they come before this board or this committee in terms of education, in terms of employment, in terms of healthcare, to where it is the ruling body in terms of overriding racial inequalities in America. But I think you're on the right path. So I think you can start with the white deconstruction with your aunt.
9: Thank you.
1: John or Connor, would you like to address that, too?
2: No, I think no. That, I think that's this beautifully said. series said it beautifully. Yep. Yeah.
1: Um, well, then let's do this. We have a few minutes left, and we have, we have 10 minutes left. Uh, for one, I want to thank all of you for, for being here, for what you've put in the chat. Uh, we're going to curate some of the resources that you put in the chat and try to get that back out to you, because uh, some, some really great things came through there. Uh, we have 10 minutes if the four of you would like to split that up, just a couple final minutes on how we grow, where we go, what's next. And let's start with, we'll do the same order we did before. So John and then Preston and then Dr. Siri and Connor.
2: Okay. <clears throat> I, I, again, I just want to thank, I want to thank Dr. Siri for coming. Uh, it's beautiful to meet you brother and to feel your heart and, and, and your history and, thank you for being part of this conversation. And Preston, I love you, man. Great to have you here. Connor, love you too, brother. And, and I'm, I'm just really grateful that that we could have this. I learned a lot and, um, and I just want to stay teachable. I want to stay teachable. I want to stay passionate. Um, and, uh, and not overthink this, just like try to do one thing every day that feels like a really, like feels like a move towards justice. Um, and uh, Yeah. I, I guess if I could say anything to, to people, that, that that's what I'm striving for for myself is to stay teachable, stay passionate. And I love that the thing that I'm really taking away from this from Dr. Siri is is you know, how white men need to do their own work together, right? And, and then bring that better, more conscious version of themselves to humanity, to the world, uh, and make a difference. We can't go to, we shouldn't go to the black community saying, hey, how can we be better? We kind of know. We kinda know we need to do I mean we should absolutely dialogue, absolutely, but, but we can't put the work on them. The work's our work. It's our work. And we've got to do it and we've got to dig in. And the time is now. And you give up a little bit of your the energy that you take to make more money. You get you give up a little bit of the energy and time you you, you use to, you know, get ahead in the world or get more, you know, get more whatever it is that you're chasing, right? And you use that time to do to, to, to create more healing. Um, and I guarantee, I would say, I hope this is the case for me. I would say on my deathbed, I'll be very happy about those fucking choices to give up those time and to give up that time and that energy so that I could be uh, more of a stand for justice. So again, thank you guys for being here. I'm from the bottom of my heart. Thanks for this conversation. And, and uh, we'll uh, turn it over to you.
3: Okay. So uh, let's start here. People like myself have been psychologically, emotionally, and physically abused for since the beginning of America. This is not victim consciousness. This is pointing to we have been victims. There's a big difference. That doesn't mean that you need to feel shame and guilt. For us to say this person has been raped, does not mean that I need to say I need to feel the guilt and the shame of whoever raped her or him. Our job is to step forward and say, how can I support given the tools and consciousness I have available to myself? My challenge to each and every one of you is to start with education, literally type in uh, anti-racist, like figure it out. Like what does that mean? And A lot of companies and a lot of people are sitting on the sidelines because they don't want to lose their base. Their base being the people who are probably super right wing, like, actually I'll take that away. Delete, delete. Their base being the people who potentially are racist, sexist, and the same way that they hate, we hated the Muslims and the Mexicans trying to come over the border. And when is this Me Too movement is gonna be over because we need to get back to being fill in the blank, you already know. I just want you to connect because you. it's very easy for the mind to go, it's them and it's over there. No, it is you and it's over here. It's right here, it's in your backyard. I dare you, I challenge you to be brave enough to make a statement, to say where you stand, to say, hey, I stand over here and where I stand, black lives do matter. And maybe I don't know everything. And I understand that you're going to shoot a bunch of statistics that are warped into my comments and that little bit of discomfort Pales in comparison to what somebody who uh, walks every day and cannot hide their beautiful chocolate skin. So I'll take those mini arrows from my friends and family and allow them to come from out of the woodworks and wave the flag of where they stand, so that we can now have a, an honest conversation because it hasn't been honest for a long time. We go into our spiritual bubbles and our cocoons and we say. Ooh! I'm in Bali and I'm doing trance dance and that's the only thing that matters. And I'm challenging you like, yes, yes, yes. All of that. We can hold love and joy and celebration and we can go to Burning Man and we can do all the things and we can drop in on mushrooms and ayahuasca and all the things you want to drop into and do the work, be the work. Thank you for each and every one of you who has given any of your attention and intention to this space. We feel it. It matters. And thank you.
5: Um, well, I've been very moved today. And uh, I'm really very s- surprised that I'm so moved because I feel I have a safe platform, that, I, that there are these real impassioned, sincere allies that are really trying to evoke a change. And that which I think is most integral to the success in... Uh, deriding, eliminating racial equality, is consistency and persistence. We're now in the streets, yes. Well, we maybe need to stay in the streets a while until, and then we know what the next move is. uh, So I think there are three phases in terms of, I'd like to say we're into the unknown. We're going into the unknown. We don't know what it looks like to have a real democratic government where everyone is on an equal basis we don't know what that's we we haven't been there i was looking at the article the articles of configure uh confederation at least black people were three-fifths of a man the indians weren't even considered now we got problems i mean the poor indians they have killed them and put them on res- it's just disgusting all right so it's so the, we're into the unknown. We don't know what that looks like. America is talking its talk, but it's not walking its talk, what's in that Constitution. In the Constitution, you look at the 14th Amendment, it says equal protection of the laws. We haven't seen that. A black man gets killed. This, I like it, Nothing happens. That's not equal protection of the laws. So what we're into is deep we all have a constructed personality. I have a constructed personality. I'm sitting here in pain, didn't know I was in so much pain, since I'm supposed to be clear for everybody. I didn't know I was personally having so much pain and hurt. I, anyway, so there's a constructed personality. Yeah, you know, i never forget, my mom I was, uh, I was raised in Texas, I was born in Texas. And on the side where we had to stay on our side of the tracks and the white people on the other side of the tracks, we did not go over the tracks. And I remember I was playing. I must have been six. And I was in a park with my mother. And she said, and there was a white woman there with her child. And I remember my mother saying, oh, he'll just play with anybody. I was like, <laughs> I'm six years old. I was playing with a little white boy. And I just remember my mother saying that. So we all have a constructed personality. I have my history that I'm carrying. John has his history. Everybody has the from what has happened to them. And this racial stuff is in us all. So that's what we have to recognize. Number two, the second phase is deconstruction. This is where we are. We're contemplating. We're not there yet. We're contemplating deconstruction, where we're going to deconstruct the educational system. We're going to deconstruct employment in America. We're going to deconstruct. We're going to deconstruct. That means tear it down until we get to the period of reconstruction. we got to deconstruct white privilege. we got to deconstruct white power. It's got to go away. And then we get to the period of reconstruction. And that's what we all are aiming for, and that is the unknown. We don't know what that looks like, because we have never been there in the history of America. So we all have work to do. But I'm thankful for this platform today. You all are great
4: individuals. And heart to heart, I love you all. So good. So powerful. Thank you, Dr. Siri. Yeah. Um, I think just being conscious of time, uh, I'm not going to really say too much. I think the only thing that, (laughs) that I can say in this space is get it wrong. You know, be willing to get it wrong. Be willing to fall flat on your face and get it wrong and having the conversations with the people who are just absolutely ignorant. Right? It can't see it. Be willing to get it wrong when you're connecting with Black brothers and sisters. Be willing to get it wrong when you're connecting with your friends and family. Be willing to get it wrong, right? That's how we learn. It's how we learn everything in life. And yet we expect ourselves to be perfect in these moments of, of racial conversations. The hardest, conver- like maybe one of the hardest conversations to have, we expect perfection out of ourselves. Get it wrong. I get it wrong all the time. And that's how I learn, that's how I'm educated. Right. And, and, and I think just like <laughs> just give yourself some room to get it wrong so that you can fail and, and lean into the discomfort. I think that's the only other thing that I would say It's not meant to be comfortable. Right. None of this is meant to be comfortable. Growth, progress, change. None of that comes in a comfortable space. It is uncomfortable. It hurts sometimes. It, you, you feel it deeply. And that is the point. Feel it as deep as you can. When I watched the video of George Floyd, I mean, I just cried. It broke me open. Right. It just broke me open. And I was left baffled, like, what, what do I do? What do we do? How do, like, where do we even go from here? What is this, like, what, what am I supposed to do with this? So feel all of it, feel as much of it as you can. And I think Dr. Sear is such a good example of that, you know, just showing up and really just feeling the feels and, and leaning into it and, and allowing, allowing ourselves to go there. I think we need more of that as men, as women, every every single one of us. So I just thank all of you for being here. And I would just say, lean in and get uncomfortable get uncomfortable with the people and start Start at home, you know, start at home with you. I saw a video of, a, of a, a young teenage girl the other day having a conversation with her father who was just being ignorant. Start there, start with the people who are closest to you and, and see if you can create a ripple effect from out. So thank you.
1: Um, thank you all. Thank you, John, for creating this day, this, this wonderful discussion, this heartfelt discussion. Thank you, Connor and Preston, Dr. Siri for showing up so beautifully and passionately with all your vulnerability and your strength and courage and encouraging us to to make mistakes and to be uncomfortable and to be brave and to make a real difference in this world. Our plan is that we will have a, a recording of this. They'll be available. We're also going to curate the chat bar and bring in some of the resources for you. Thanks for being here for today and thank you for taking us forward in the future.
2: You guys nice to be with you all. Thank you. Yeah, nice. thank you so much. Love you all. all, right. cool. all right. Love to Love you, you. Thank you. See you later. Thank you. Stop.